Hello and welcome to Documentation Not Included, episode 2.2, The Developer Interview Process, WTF. I didn't come up with a title, but we're basically going to be questioning what people do in the interview process. What, why do we get test like, tested like we get tested as developers? And what we should really be doing, I think, as well. Hopefully, we've come to a conclusion and everybody on the planet will take our advice. And, uh, <laughs> move on. We're gonna live in utopia where everything is great and Indeed. amazing. Uh, so yes, thanks for joining us live on Twitch. Uh, for those listening on the podcast, we hope to see you in Twitch chat. Uh, joining in with the conversation next Thursday at seven thirty seven p.m. GMT. All my yep. words. <laughs> Unfortunately, Josie isn't with us today. Uh, she has a bite and bad mig migraines, or maybe she contacted my virus through the internet, which probably would be first case of. Uh, viral infection through TCP/IP protocol. I thought of that. That should be IOP. IOPs. You know, we couldn't, <laughs> couldn't use VoIP last week, so it has to be an I yeah. for infection. Yeah, but uh, if that's the case, <laughs> then humanity is truly doomed. And yeah, let's spend our last minutes on this earth happily together. But before that, um, we have Anthony. Uh, hello, Anthony. Hello. Yeah, and uh, back so with us, uh, we're going to be talking about development process. So. Yeah, uh, it's going to be amazing. And before we get going, um, Josie will have our guts for garters if we don't do an icebreaker. So I've come up with one today. Um, hopefully, we've all got a wallet lying around. Pick something out of your wallet or your pocket and tell us why, is it, why it's important to you. No credit cards or anything like that. Make sure you don't show anything on the... Uh, on yeah, the really get my wallet. I actually haven't looked in my wallet, to, and I was the one who came up with this, so I, should, I need to, I need to have well, a little rummage through. I'm just, just going to run and get it. I have, like, the weirdest <laughs> things, but it's hard to, like, rummage right. through my wallet because of the credit cards. I immediately thought of one thing, obviously, and... Uh... Oh, shit, I have, like, something amazing. Uh, so, I have a Chinese cookie. Uh, oh, cool, a fortune thingy. cookie. Yeah, fortune cookie thingy. So, uh, why is that important to you, though? Oh, uh, because it already happened. Oh. Uh, so an old wish will come true, and I got it like long, long time ago, uh, before I was a game developer, and then I became a game developer, which you know was something that I was working towards my entire life. So you know, um, confirm here first, folks. Uh, Chinese uh, fortunes from uh, fortune cookies, hundred percent success rate. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, let Anthony, if he's got something, if he's picked something, or has he just uh, grabbed well. his wallet? I can't find my wallet. Oh, I don't know. I don't, well, I, I never this, this was always going to be a difficult one. If we need props, I just, I just have um, all my cards loose in my pocket. But I've just taken my cards out of my pocket, <laughs> and uh, I think possibly my most favourite and most embarrassing thing is my uh, Mecha Bingo card, just in case <laughs> of a bingo emergency. Um, I forgot that you did bingo. I forgot that you were in the bingo. <laughs> also, is, is there some sort of like a big UK bingo underground club with like membership clubs? Uh, Anthony's in all yeah, kinds of weird clubs though. Yeah, it's not really very underground. No, no. Uh, well, well, mine, mine, it can, can be sensible or it could be on the same kind of ilk as your Mecha Bingo card. So first of all, I'm going to do the, the stupid one. What's I that? Have, it's a Red True Barbecue. Red True Barbecue True Believer Awards card because that's one of the best places on the planet to eat, in my opinion. They, they shut down the one in London. Not affiliated, by the way. Not on commission. Uh, but I am actually going to use a picture of my wife because she's beautiful. Aww. And I always keep it in my wallet because... Just because. Wait, Anton, did you set out each other down in the in the London? 
The barbecue place. The, the, the registry barbecue shut down in the least field in Shoreditch, and uh, I think it was just the one, and it shut down. I don't know why. Oh. There's, there's some good ones in London. Because they're all vegans. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Yeah, onto our topic, which is interview process, and it's gonna be very topical because I am right now undergoing multiple interview processes, as it as it tends to be when you when you switch companies. So yeah, it's gonna be super super exciting topic. So let's let's dive right into it. Right? Yes, I mean I'm I'm those who can listen regularly know that I'm a contractor, so I'm interviewing all the time. I don't really agree with the process for what I do because I come in for a project, if you know what I mean, for the way that it is done. But it, it's unfortunately that I just have to tag on to that. Um, interviews are more, for me, getting to know the client, figuring out what they want, figuring out the basic requirements, scope, uh, kind of what the structure is in the company and how I fit into that and how they want me to fit into it. See if I f see if it's a fit, really. Uh, for so me, yeah, I mean, I do essentially enter an interview like an interview, but it isn't, they don't, a lot of clients don't expect that when you turn up on site. And a lot of the time I get, he's a bit too senior for, for this role because sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm acting like a business to business thing. And it, it's not, it's a difficult position for me to be in either yeah. way. Cause I can't really, I can't, it's not like networking and going out to just get work. People try you out with a small bit of work and then they give you more work and then more and more if you, you know, if you do well. And then they refer you to other people, and that's how you business you build a business. But it's not like that at all with the contracting world. It's either there's I a just, job, it exists. I, I just don't understand the face. Like uh, he knows too much, or like he's overqualified. I'm like, can you imagine how it goes in the um, you know the background? Like he knows too much. <laughs> Maybe not in that context, but yeah, I know, I know where you're coming from. It, right? it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, it's. A lot of the time they expect you to go in as a contractor and just kind of be part of the furniture and just fit into the culture and just do the work that they give you. But it's difficult for us to be in that position when we're actually independent consultants. And it's sometimes we have, it's a gray area and you know, there's a lot of legislation around it as well legally. And it kind of, it becomes less of an issue if you approach it a different way, but it's very difficult. It's more difficult to get work. You're fighting with other businesses basically. Anyway, so I mean, that's the my my experience of it. I've obviously went through interview processes as well, um, with full employment before I became a, a contractor. Before I was uh, self-employed, and I've done it all. I've done all kinds of tests and all kinds of madness. So, I first of all, I want to ask Anthony, why is this? Why is this? Why did you want to talk about this topic specifically? Is there an underlying theme, or is it just you've had a lot well, of recent experience? So I come at it from a slightly different angle. So for, well, for quite a few years now, I have done technical interviews with developers. And everywhere that I've worked, we've had masses and massive arguments, to, you know, did it work? People don't want to do them, you know, because you waste, you know, you're not wasting your developer's time, but the, de the developer has to make a big time commitment to sort of apply for the job. Um, I've had, you know, ones where they're just code reviews where they send them in technical tests that they do online and pair programming ones where you sit down with the programmer and get them to program. Um, and uh, they're all horrendous. And I was just wondering what, you know, everybody hates them. Um, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many developers, when you look at the CV and you see they've got years and years of experience, um, fail to be able to, you know, do a for loop or something like that and yeah. just, you know, fall to bits. And I, I, And you know it's because you know, you know, it's not because they can't program, you know, I, but I don't know what it is. 
Um, so yeah, so that's that's sort of my experience really. Um, there, there is, I, I, I think there's a, there's a big difference here with um, when it comes to people, individ, individuals approach interviews differently. Some of them don't feel worthy before they enter the interview. Some of them feel, feel overconfident and some of them just feel like it's just something they have to do to get through the, to the next stage, you know? And the problem here, I, I the problem I see with that particular bit is that it, um, I've lost my train of thought. So um, in, in terms of like, in terms of developers not knowing, so while you look for that train, I'm, I'm gonna fill in. So in terms of developers not knowing, like failing even to do a for loop on on a on an interview, uh, it could be a mixture of you know different uh, IDE, different development environment, and stress. Uh, like I'm not gonna lie, there are some very basic stuff in um, in shaders in in graphical programming in HLSL, GLSL that I will forget. Like, like, you know, stupid stuff, like, you know, when you make, like, the correlation at the top for, like, before you start, like, your CG program, when you make the correlations, um, you don't put semicolons at the end there. Like, if you put semicolon there, it's gonna crash. Uh, and then, like, everywhere else, you put semicolons. Uh, stupid fucking thing. And then I will, every now and then, I will forget and I will do the same thing, because, uh, at least, in, in, like, on a f be before you will heavily mod your development setup, it is not set for uh, shader programming. I, I haven't found an IDE which which helps you program shaders. It's almost as if you'll be doing it in a notepad. So it could be part of it. Part of it could be that, like different development environment, and just stress and like you know, brain having a blue screen. So IDE setup is quite is is quite interesting. So I had a lot of so for a while I did it where developers would come in and sit with me at my desk in the office and use my computer and I'd say to them, you know. Le you know, you set it. You spend five minutes, familiar yourself with the the ID. Get yourself comfortable. Feel free to mess around with resharp and all that sort of stuff, um, and to, to, to sort of try and ease them into it. Um, and we all forget semicolons and random things every now and again, and get you know. Um, but the amount of people who then just get sort of locked into a spiral of uh, but another so but another so and then since then. Uh, the ones I do recently are actually via WebEx, so they share their screen over a WebEx, and then and then so it's their ID that they got set, set up. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's less than an excuse there for messing up the ID. But I, I have genuinely had people come up to an interview, and I've said, oh, you know, what language do you like to program in? Because this one can be done in in any language, and they've just made made up. They've just said, oh, I really wanted to learn this programming language, so I decided to choose a random ID and this random programming language out of a hat to do it with that I've never used before. And I was like, Okay, that's, uh, and you'll never guess how those interviews went. Mm. I, I think amazingly <laughs> nothing wrong happened ever. <laughs> I think uh, I, I agree with the ID thing. I've been flustered occasionally when I've, for example, I'm when I've when I've had a job that I've been really uh, hands on with. I'm coding all the time. I'm in Visual Studio and I'm using ReSharper and I've got all my, everything set up perfectly. And I spend ages doing that. Then I have to move to a box that doesn't have that set up. It takes me a little bit to get my head back i'm not going to be useless but there's a lot of things that you take for granted for example uh there's a shortcut in resharper where you create a property just type by typing prop snippet and it mm -hmm. creates a property for you sometimes uh, you could go through writing that over and over and over again 500 times and then kind of just forget how it actually looks what it's structured like where the get goes does it go before or after the yep. uh, the parenthesis so you know or does it go do i need parenthesis in this particular instance you know and all of that kind of stuff 
can drop out your head if you're using an IDE that, that helps oh, yeah. you. But oh, well, that yeah. doesn't I mean, mean you're a bad programmer about, in any way, shape, or form. If you think about programming on a day-to-day basis, how many times do you say create a new program, you know, a new solution from scratch? Yeah. How, yeah. how many times do you make write a database connection? You don't. There's already a database layer there, and you're adding. You know, you're always further yep. down the stack. So, I mean, you know, I, t- I totally get that. I, I always might, try and you might spend three months writing link queries, and then another three exactly, months, yeah. and then another three months working on Angular. You're not. You might forget these things, and that's yep. a lot of the time people want recent experience as well. When was the last time you worked with this technology? Well, when I think about it, it was two years ago when I actually think about the numbers, but it doesn't matter. I still know what I'm doing with it. And Google, you know, as we've all said all the time, Google is pretty much our jobs these days. You know, we need to learn how to refine what we search for, but that's about it. And apply that. I always allow people to use Google as well. I always say, you know, but if people want an interview. No, some people do. Some people refuse to. Some people go, oh, no, I can't do that. I'll fail. And then they're not failing because they didn't Google the syntax for, to open a file, which yeah. is, again, but something you, that nobody ever does. You don't know the agenda of the person that's interviewing you. You've just met them. I know you're, you're kind of get, as an interviewer, you get called to it as well. You get called to people's, um, how it, the individuals are feeling. And we go back to this feeling of sonder that we've talked about on this show a few times, that feeling that everybody has their own lives and their own intricate details that are going on. And it's it's important to remember that as well as an interviewer and try and make yeah. them as comfortable as you possible, possibly can. I do. So one thing that quite often happens is you say, you know, it's all right, you know, take your time, that just, and that just makes things worse. Um, but mm. just, you know, my, my agenda when I sit down to interview somebody is just hoping that I'm not going to spend an hour staring at a blank screen with them getting really stressed. I absolutely <laughs> do not agree with people watching me in an interview while I code. I have got them walked out of an interview the way they've they've done that to me. I, I think it is it's the worst, most unrealistic uh, interview process that you could put together. I just don't get it. Nobody watches you like that when you you're working. If well, so if weird. you use pair programming, if yeah. you use pair programming, you're wrong. But yes, <laughs> and yes, that is a strong opinion. I, I am not a fan of pair programming. It's not. I don't See, find it. We should do it. We should do it. An episode on pair programming. <laughs> what is pair programming? I'm, like, I'm more than up for that. It's, it's when you sit and, and program with somebody watching you the whole time. Why would you ever do that? Like I have, um, I have, I have a from from time to time. Like when boss would come over to check out on on our art department, he would like take a look at what I'm doing, and he's like looking over my shoulder and then typing, and I could see like my my focus just like dropping off a cliff. I would I would have to like stop whatever I was doing, like. Did you want to talk with me? <laughs> you have to get in a zone with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I've done it, yeah. and it's it's not something I failed at. We did we did fine. You know, I worked with. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I paired with somebody who I worked with very well, and we we you know we both took turns in programming. We both took turns at watching and distracting, uh, whatever you call yeah. it. You know, when you you're making the other people making people go away. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I, and yeah, I there was an element of enjoyment to it, but I. It just wasn't for me. I didn't feel like I produced any better quality code. Maybe it's a seniority thing. Maybe it's that I've I've learned my mistakes without pair programming, and then I was mostly the senior in that position. Maybe it didn't work for me for that. I don't know. I, I, I don't think anybody likes pair programming. My my mm. I, I've done it. Um, I, I don't particularly enjoy it because nobody enjoys having somebody breathing over you the whole time when you're programming. When it has been most successful is when the two people are at the same level. Uh, but yeah. not just as like in seniority, but also in their knowledge of the problem that's being solved. And it is, in my opinion, 
almost always used as a way to train people up. And when the other person has no knowledge and you're having to explain everything all the time, it becomes really frustrating. Yeah. So that's that's my opinion on it. I suppose I do do pair programming inadvertently when I'm training people, but they don't sit and it's not the same kind of feedback system that you would expect from a proper you know it'd be, it's me teaching people and showing them and then saying well if i do this then this happens you know usually a junior as i said anyway we're getting a little bit off topic here with the uh the pair programming stuff um yeah. so we talked about a few types of tests there we weren't talking about um we, we talked about the hands-on practical tests we talked about the um uh actual interview process but we haven't talked about the detail of that so what what's have you got a preferred way of are you talking from an interviewer's point of view, actually, Anthony, or an interviewee? Yeah, that's, I, that's what I said. So, I, I mean, this whole question came up because so, uh, somebody at work had done another interview and gone, oh, my God, why the hell has this person turned up to an interview if they can't even do this or, right. like, not done any research or preparation or, you know, um, so just, you- just not read the email from the recruiter that said, you know, open WebEx, have an ID open and ready to go. You know, oh, I don't have a, I don't have, I don't have a visual studio on this computer. <laughs> Well, you've not even read the email. Yeah, so, so you're not. Uh, that's that's the yeah. I mean that that makes a decision for me immediately in an interview. Yeah, yeah I mean, but it really like, it's, it's really frustrating for yeah. me as an interviewer because that is a waste of my time. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I genuinely want people to pass. I, I never go into an interview hmm. wanting somebody to fail, um, and all I ever do is try and help them to to you know because when you, especially when you well so the, my this is another <laughs> classic interview moment when. You, you basically give somebody maybe somebody's stuck on it on something you get and you just oh, I'm just going to tell them this little bit so they can get over that and move on to the next section so I can see a bit more about how they think and that sort of stuff and they go oh no that's not it and carry on you mean they, they, they tell you that you're wrong and <laughs> yeah right it's like, trust me mate I have done this wow. I have watched people do this hundreds of times yeah. yeah, I've literally made the test. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know. Oh, oh crap! That's a that's a whole other. So like you know, I I, I like I I my constant fear is that I'm socially not adjusted. That my you know my I'm very bad at contacting with people. But the more I hear, like I feel like a fucking superstar. <laughs> it would never, it would never cross my mind when I'm sitting in an interview with like a t- test from their technical. Because like right now I'm I'm like applying for like a weird positions where like in one company there isn't a technical to interview me so they don't even they they have to get someone else to like right. confirm that I'm a competent person so like I w- I would instantly join in as the most competent person into the co- in the company in my own field um, but I would never so so you know when they when they give me art test I could maybe like i mean discuss but if if a company that has a senior that has a person that are like way better at the stuff that they're hiring me for that it is only the test and if that person is telling me solution i ain't gonna discuss with that yeah you, there's certain talk you know chat back you can do it depending on the interviewer but yeah as yeah. an interviewee you're the submissive one <laughs> yeah you don't do that <laughs> yeah I, I would definitely like know, ask I'm, about yeah. the Oh, like, why is that? Because that would be like a learning moment for me. Yeah. But I would never be dismissive towards. And that's like, sh- that also shows willing to learn as well. It's a big thing. It's how you in how you deal with every situation in an interview. Yeah. If I go to an interview and the agent sold it to me wrong, or the the client has told me the wrong things, and when I actually get there, the technical people I'm talking to are like, "Oh, that's nonsense. We're actually yeah. 
writing in oh. this language on we're using this ID and I'd be like well I've never used them before but please feel free to give them to me you might take I might take me an hour to pick the you know the basics up around it but yeah. I'm going to be there for an hour so is it worth it you know it's that's the kind of thing it's it, it depends on how you deal with individual yeah. issues in an interview and yeah, so mistakes happen, yeah. what I was trying to get out of you then so I asked if you um if you were the interview you're talking from the perspective of an interviewer yes so What's your preferred way to interview a candidate for a permanent job then? Yeah. What's like the ideal interview scenario? Yeah. I, 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 I have worked many places that have had many different ways and they all seem to have situations where you feel like that person should have got the job, but you just can't pass them from the interview. It's very difficult. Uh, and especially in programming, you know, there's, there's so much CV packing going on. Yeah. But trying to find out whether somebody can really code is really difficult, which is why we end up doing these technical tests, which are quite often lame and arbitrary, but you need to have some sort of of yardstick. So, um, I, you know, I do think a technical test is, is, is of some description is the way to go, but I've, I've never come across one that I've been like, yes, that is the one, we should always do that. So, um, but I, I think if I was to have like a list of things, they, they had to be simple enough that they don't you know depend on particular technologies they, they're sort of more raw sort of algorithmic type things but also the algorithm can't be so complicated that the person can't pick it up straight away as well i think as not, you know. i think analytical skills should be tested more Anal definitely, definitely. as a programmer no matter what kind of programmer you are really analytical skills are really important being able to you know disseminate information disseminate information that you're given and then make something of it or or produce or, or ask the right questions make sure that you you're going down the right route that's a really important skill that doesn't get tested enough because a lot of people focus on the doing rather than the actual um planning or the you know the yeah yeah the planning stage the asking so the right questions is, is a massive a massive thing for me and that's one of the reasons why sitting down and doing a, a technical test you, you don't give them the whole problem to start off with. You give them some ideas and then expect them to flesh out the, you know, if they just go straight off in one direction, then... Let me give you an example of a, an interview question that I posed some uh, for, for a particular role I was hiring for. Uh, as a contractor a while ago, I was asked to help develop an internal team for somebody. And um, <clears throat> I was looking for a guy who could code, like, APIs, back-end stuff, knew their knew their NT programming, knew the, the object orientation, you know, bit the basics of object orientation and solid. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so one question I asked him, uh, asked everybody, and it really separated the wheat from the chaff. It separated the panickers and the overthinkers and the, and the people who were just right for the job. And it was, what is an interface and what is it useful for? Now, what would what would you answer with that, Anthony? <laughs> You're interviewing me now. I am interviewing you. Go on. <laughs> what would I answer for that? Uh, an an interface is just a a definition of a, a set of operations that some something might do, so Excellent. you can then implement it different ways. So, is that your full answer? Uh, I. That'll do for now. Okay, so great. I just put Anthony on the spot there and as an interview. I know he was. I didn't think he was going to get interviewed, but he did. Um, so the question, the question, you, you you gave me the right answer. Good enough, definitely. I know you know how you, the, what you've given me there tells me exactly 
at least you know, you haven't given me the textbook definition, but you know what it's for and why it exists. The best candidates, I thought, that answered that question were, which type of interface? Are you talking about the programming interface, as in the contract, as, as you just described, or are you talking about a user interface? Oh. And so many people started answering it as a user interface before anything else and almost all of the juniors answered it as a user interface yep. and this is a, i didn't look it up anyway i've came up with this question because i was being man i brought 20 odd questions on i think they're all really hard as well they're all ridiculous things that I'd, things i've just learned yesterday you know i was i was a bastard back then put it that way yeah. and um <clears throat> but that one question i'm going to use it forever and a day because it, it's it's i thought it it give me the analytical ones it tells me if they ask me well which type because that's important information I need to know yeah. before I answer the question. And then if they can explain both types, brilliant, excellent. That's a, that's a sneaky type of question. I know, it's but, funny I, because it's, like, but it's a great question. It's a great conversation yeah. starter without being so deep or so technical that, you know, I, yeah. so yeah. I agree, it's a good question. I mean, the, the, the icebreaker, it wasn't a very good icebreaker today. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry about yeah. that, everybody. So but, like uh, <laughs> the icebreaker we did today, that kind of thing that sets people at ease as well is a good way to enter an interview. I didn't say that yeah. was an entry question. That was just a question that happened to be answered in a particular way and surprised me. I didn't expect the answers I got. And I'm looking at looking back at it. It's like, wow, that's actually helps me so so like the, dialing back to the um, general idea of, of technical tests and uh, stepping up because I, I have like one more thing about the tests that I wanted to ask so uh, Anthony Anthony you said that most like all of the tests are like bullshit and, and stuff like that and we also talked a bit about it before the show and before I will I will say how it is from the gameplay perspective like is there really not a like a simple one like 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 a four-hour test task that would test everything that you would want about the candidate programming wise a in, four in software hour development. Four-hour test. <laughs> He's an because artist, though. He's an artist, well, yeah, though, and so, that, that isn't. So, it's a very different world. That I mean, that's madness. So just to give you a sense of scale, I think. Yeah, that, so, so so like the test that I'm familiar with, the test that I'm familiar with from the from the um, game dev perspective, are either art test or, or technical artist test. And all of them were usually so far around four hours to do, and they're not on site. They are you do them at your home, and then you submit online. Okay, the facts. right. Yeah, it's yeah. not uh, on site. Yeah, I mean four four hours of the in-house development. Yeah, that'll be too long. Well, the problem <laughs> with that is, and, and so and we've had this issue before where people just Google it, people post solutions online, and then they just copy it, or you mm -hmm. know, or I've actually had it where they've got somebody else to do it. Uh, as soon as you get to the next interview, you're like it's just obvious that you've not done that. So, but there, yeah. there's also there's also an argument there with four hours. I'm a candidate going for a job. I've applied for maybe I'm not that good. Maybe I've applied for twenty jobs. Maybe I get rejected mm -hmm. by nineteen of them, and there's only one that's good, I'm going to get. If all of them had a four hour interview process, yeah. I'd be like, no, nah, I want to kill myself yeah. by the end of it. And, that, and that's a that's a big issue, especially mm -hmm. in in London where the market is so competitive. Mm -hmm. The person, you know, they will have somebody offering them a job within a week. So the whole thing needs to be done, you know, with, within a week. Mm. And mm. it needs to be as, as time sort of. Mm. So, so I guess time will also be the issue. So like the cool thing, the cool thing from the from the game, game dev perspective is that at least like so so far uh, so far I had um, I had like one uh, one technical art test for the um, technical artist position, and it stro struck me as like really freaking smart thing like it was it was basically a water shader which tests uh, like writing a water shader 
tests multiple techniques that you need to use for multiple different effects as a, as a technical artist, as someone who writes shaders. So it tests that you at least know all of them, or at least uh, that you know how to go about finding them. And and then, like also the the, the artistics of it, the look of it, how how it looks the thing. So it's like very holistic thing when you can see, um, you can see like literally everything from uh, binary asset optimization in the package to uh, the coding style and whether the code is messy or not, and obviously like the capability, uh, and then also the artistic. So you test like literally every, in four hours. You test that usually. I mean, probably it could be done in an hour when you do that stuff frequently. It could take any days if you're really slow at it. But I would say something like around four hours. One of and, I uh, one of the most complicated jobs I've ever done. I had yeah. um, a very very simple test for it, and it was a it was a brilliant piece of work. It was an excellent project. But the guy who was interviewing had a, he was a no nonsense guy. He wasn't. He just couldn't bothered really i think with the interview process he gave us the fizzbuzz test which is sim similar kind of a fizzbuzz test look it up online um it's basically it is on every something like third, I can't remember every third word you put you print fizz and every, every five words you print buzz and, and then every three if, if it's a combination of three and five you say fizzbuzz or something like that is that it's something like that but it, there's there's some modulation involved but i've just spoiled it for people who haven't done it before but it, it it's uh, modulus rather um it's a dead simple test, but it shows you quite a lot about the person who writes it. It shows them how concise and tight they can make the code. It shows people if they know the basic opera math mathematical operations, and it's it's just a very basic test. But it only took fifteen minutes to do. So yeah. can I just even? So that is exactly the sort of algorithm that you know we would test where I work at the moment. Something like Fizzbuzz, yeah. but Fizzbuzz is too common with exactly yeah. that level. Now that seems to me, and when I did the interview there. I was done in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, boom, off you go. I was like, oh, is that it? Because it was meant to be an hour. Maybe I failed and they didn't ask me the other question. Um, but the amount of people who cannot do that is well, astounding. Exactly. And if they can't do that, a simple, I mean, I even did it in a language I didn't do before. They gave me the IDE and the compiler and everything, and it told me how I <laughs> basically ran it. Mm -hmm. But I just wrote it. It was a dead simple thing, for loop. That's it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But exactly. it. it Proved it, and and that ended up. I said it ended up being one of the, my favourite projects I've done in my life. It was really in, interesting and really deep, really complicated, and that was it. That and he chatted to me, and he, he see if he see if I fit in, see if he like he liked me, you know. Yeah. So, so we we have a bit of a um a, a, a sort of philosophy that it doesn't really matter what technologies you know, you know what backend technology, what you know web API stuff that you know whether you know soap or anything like that if you can do fizzbuzz then we can teach it yeah yeah but and, that, and that's you know and that and that it works quite well but we have um just just to go back i think go back to your previous point patrick mm -hmm. uh i think our, our success rate for for passing the technical interview is is it's it's in the single digits percents Ooh. so and that's a developer spending an hour with every single candidate and mm. you're talking five out of a hundred passing, even still at that level, it's it's, yeah. it's such a huge investment of time. It must so be when because you you're in London, that though, because we, I mean, even even up here, we don't get that many candidates. I, I have to go through a lot for jobs, but not that much. Madness. Well, go on. Yeah. Um, Jesus, that's a major sink in terms of resources. It is a huge, huge time sink, which is why I'm genuinely glad. I'm genuinely glad when somebody passes. You know, I, I want people to pass because the last thing I want to do is have to sit here for an hour and do this again. 
Yeah. I think a, a certain level as well of programming, or, or if for contracting at least anyway, when I've I've been for some interviews, I've went in, done a technical test, and I've been like, I'm kind of reluctantly doing it, but do it because I have to, you know. I do the test, and sometimes I look out, and sometimes they give me everything that's almost the same as my home setup. You know, they give me ReSharp, a Visual Studio, it's C Sharp that I have to do it in, it's uh, using a technology, most up-to-date framework that I tend to work with, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it fits in, and I get it done dead quick, or I don't finish it, but they can see that I'm more than capable of doing it, you know. Um, those kind of interviews, they tend to jump on you. If you do really well at them, they'll jump on you, because there probably are quite a few candidates who can't deliver the quality maybe they're looking for sometimes. Um, and I th- I, it does happen, you know, you do get a lot of people who fail, but I'm still taken aback by that, <laughs> that number. Yes. I, you know, and it's not, it's not, it, this has been across all the jobs where I've interviewed in the past. It's, it's you know, um, certainly when I was back in Blackpool, we were interviewing there as well, a similar sort of. So do you think, do you think a test, a coding test is absolutely definitely needed then before we move on to another topic? <laughs> I... I haven't seen anything better as an indicator as of whether you know someone can program. So we're talking now, about developers from, specifically here as well. What about what about having yeah. like established portfolio like a GitHub repository? Yes, now that, so if, you, if somebody has you know a GitHub portfolio, or you know you can see you know the work that I do at the moment is open source. So you could go and have a look at my commits and go, oh, that's I have done. Um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Don't understand anything. Oh, you're you know, doing, <laughs> Me neither, but don't tell anyone. It's not recording, is it? <laughs> the, uh, but you know, and and that is that is a great way uh, having having a GitHub repository. But a lot of people don't, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have a have a GitHub account with like three abandoned projects that they started six years ago, and it's not really enough to see. I mean, I'm quite lucky. I'm I'm being paid somewhere to work on open source software, so you can mm. see how I work day to day by just looking at the pull request, yeah. and, you know, and and how I interact with people. So that's actually a, a a brilliant way to see how, how so many programs, but without that, it's really difficult, I think. So yeah, it, if, it... if someone is only working and they don't have hobby projects, especially as a programmer, it's basically impossible to have a portfolio, I guess, because everything is property of the company. You cannot publish your code. Yeah. So, uh, One so... of the things that I tended to focus on when I was interviewing people, before we move on to another topic, <laughs> was what they did outside of work. And not, I'm not saying that all developers to be good, a good developer, have to have technical interests outside of work. But being into things like open source, being able to being able to demonstrate that you read blogs and you subscribe to RSS feeds and and you 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 are interested in the industry and the new advancements and the new frameworks that are coming out, I think that's quite important. But I know it's not necessary for a good programmer. It's it's a difficult one that because I don't genuinely do a lot of programming outside of work my uh, because well, you're not of, a good programmer well that is true <laughs> yeah. um, but you know I, I find it really difficult I, I find after a day of work I find my, my sort of I've mental you know capacity as well as physical capacity and I've used so much of it I, I, I need to do something completely different yeah. to sort of reset and I find if I do do stuff after work I tend to like sort of burn out a little bit yeah. but it is a great indicator, you know, for some people. But I've also known programmers have been terrible. Have watched every blog on the internet and read everything, yeah, and watched every video about programming. So, yeah, there's a few people that we worked with um, that I can think of in that category. Okay. Uh, so, can, there's just one other bit of the interview process I'd like to bring up, if that's all right. Yeah, and I don't know whether you, whether you two have had to do these before, 
but this is a code review where you're given somebody's code okay it's generally meant you know a terrible terrible piece of code and you're asked to you know review it and ask you know and I, i've done this like several places that i've worked Ooh, never done that before? i've never done that no never that's oh, really? interesting i could i can see it as a, a yeah, I could see that's being something. Uh, good. Probably better than technical test, actually. Yeah, it probably it's, it's could certainly... because you can you cannot Google that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really quite um, it is it's really quite telling. So you you'll get you'll get ones back where they've written one comment on it because mm -hmm. they obviously just don't give a shit and have just spent you know zero time on it. You'll get ones back where they've they pointed out every sort of syntax errors and uh, syntax error that's in there and said oh this bracket needs to be on this and this is an interface so it has to have an i in front of it so, well i'm not Does entirely it? sure that's well i'm not entirely sure that's what you know it's a pattern I mean, and practice but it's sorry it's a practice but it's not yeah if they, if they say you know it's a coding style but if they, if they say you know the the, the 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 common microsoft coding style for c sharp is to have an i an, an i in front of an interface but i'm not sure what your house coding standard is that's a reasonable thing to put on it yeah. I, you know i'm totally happy with that mm -hmm. um and you know, like really heavy on the syntax, and you know, oh, this this constructor's missing a, you know, this, this variable's not got a getter and a setter. H however, they totally, totally miss the fact that they've read a method that says something and does something else. Yeah, so they've not actually like looked at the, the the meaning of the code, which for me is the first thing that I do. Do you know what I mean? Maybe um, a refactor test. Maybe you know, you give them code that's already written, and you. You ask them to change it to be more efficient, well, or so. Hmm. The what? One of the interview processes at a previous place was to send the code test out first, and then ask them to refactor it. And then they came in for two hours and and extended it, which is quite an onerous process. But it it worked really well, apart hmm. from when when you start a two-hour interview and realize ten minutes in that it's 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 going to end horribly. But I have to still sit there for another hour and fifty minutes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've, I say I've been on both ends of of the barrel, and uh, sometimes I'm doing a test or I'm doing an interview, and I, I feel like this isn't. I don't even want this job, or they don't they don't like me, or it doesn't. It's not right. There's something wrong here. Um, I certainly have as well. I mean, I've been in an interview. They've asked me a question. I've just got. You know what? I don't know. I just. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've been that blunt. I've been as professional as I can be, but sometimes you just get a feel for the place, and it's just not. It just not. It doesn't work. It's not something there. Um, so I mean. Okay, so there are other types of tests that we can do in the interview process as well. Not just developer tests, not just coding tests. Uh, we've got, you know, the, the question format, the question and answer format, which is, tends to be most of the time, if I've not got a technical test, the kind of the way that I'd, I'd go. Uh, they've got the, you know, the, the star format where we've got people who tell us a story, tell us what they've done, why they did it, what the objective was, what they achieved by the end of it. That is kind of where I go with most of my answers, regardless of what kind of interview I have. And you've got the casual interviews, haven't you, where people are just basically winging it for the entire thing. And to be fair, some of them tend to go pretty well, especially if the person that it's interviewing is very experienced and can just ask questions off the cuff, you know, and have a good flowing conversation with you. Mm -hmm. What's in in terms of the question part of things? What what do you do, or what 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 have you done in the past? Uh, so, where currently and we have like a, a design question where we ask about stuff, and it's basically just completely open ended. But again, it's trying to get people to ask us questions rather than the other way around. Um, the previous place I worked, we used to do um, 
uh, ask ask about your you know your last project or your la- the last interesting sort of project they did, and then explain the architecture on a board to you know what somebody technical and maybe one of the BAs or a project manager or something like that. Um, and and that and that's a really really great one because it really shows um, the ability to sort of explain technical concepts at a, at a non-technical level. Which um, but then then also get the technical feedback as well. Yeah. So I mean, is yeah. that again? I'm presuming that's your preferred kind of way, just asking people what their experiences are, because there's there's the there is the question answer format where they don't really go into experiences, because that has happened to me. They've just come in and asked me a lot of stock questions. Tick yeah. boxes, literally, and handed that over to technical people to go. Well, this guy got eight. This guy got nine. Let's give it the one with nine. You know. So that's quite often used yeah. as, a, as a low pass filter. So the questions yeah. are given to HR, and it's something they can do to weed out candidates before it even gets to us. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I have had some of those before, and when you're being asked those questions by people who aren't technical at all, you can sometimes give an answer that it's it just it's just not on my list. It's, sorry, it's not on my list. The computer says no. Yeah. When it is a completely valid answer, and it is that mm. is a really frustrating thing. But I understand, you know, from being on the other end and knowing how valuable my time is. Yeah, uh, it's I, not I it's not something that I've ever delivered. I've never done that. I've had questions and answers, but they've all been yeah. geared very much towards exactly what we're doing, and I'm technical, so I'm asking in a in a more dynamic way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so. There's something that Josie has been talking about for a few weeks as well, and it's the when you are being interviewed uh, by a client, and this has happened to me a couple of times in the last few years, they've interviewed you, or in my instance, sometimes they need some kind of design specification or or a quotation of some, some description. They will take that and benefit from it in some way, shape, or form. Now, without taking you on, without hiring you, and what Josie's referred to as brain rape, which is the asking questions or asking how would you solve this particular problem, yeah. and then they go off and implement it because you're more in, I don't know, you, you've had the ex- experience before, but not actually taking you on to hire. What you experience, what are you, uh, have you had any experiences of that? Uh, no. Not at all? Uh, well, you don't so- know, actually, don't you? <laughs> That's the problem. Well, true, yeah. I mean, I have, I have had, um, I have had plenty of uh, issues where they wanted me to sort of go away and do some work on my own, but I can't recall anything where the task wasn't like completely unrelated to the Abstract. sort of company that I was working for. Um, but I, it, that's that's as a sort of a small company to bigger company thing. Um, yeah. It's like that. Um, is it what's that twenty seven slash B guy on the internet that does all those funny things? And somebody asked him to. Um, do something for free because it'll only take five minutes. Oh, the, the Australian awesome. guy. Yeah. Ah, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy who did the you know spider, I mean? the spider drawing. Yeah, the spider, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. The spider. It's like it's like that, isn't it? You know, you get you, you put out some quotes, get people to design the stuff for you, and then you take the design and use that. I mean, that's that's awful. That's an yeah, awful and that happens industry. in the art industry quite a lot as well. Yeah, Actually, yeah, yes. that's. I think that's the most common in the art industry, and then it probably bleeds out into the game dev simply because of the the art industry specifications because you know as i said like the it's unfortunately a double-edged sort of having uh so like the the initial screening screening for the game dev interview process seems to be done by portfolios and seems like everyone um it's viewed very favorably to have a portfolio to the point where even as a programmer you probably should have a portfolio um as yeah. a, like it, it, it was quite a shocking to me to learn that as a technical artist i don't necessarily need to have a portfolio and i was like wait but 
but I should probably. Um, but but yeah, so so the, so there isn't really as much of an issue of like people coming in and not knowing how to do the fucking job because you can do the initial screening and you don't have to invest resources in that. Like that's done first hand first, and then the advantage is you you can you can have like more in depth test. But the disadvantage is that then the company can take it and run for, run with it. And yeah, it's definitely a problem of uh, smaller companies simply because they um, they they feel like they can get away with more or like they don't have a legal department briefing da down their <laughs> neck and saying, oh my God, please don't do this. Um, uh, but then also like in the worst case scenario, even if you sue them, like you might not even get any money from them. So it seems to be a liability for, for bigger companies and for smaller companies seems to be a thing to do. Which yeah, is I, don't, I don't, we don't I, really I have do, that I problem. Do, I do have a brain rape corollary. Corollary. Um, I have learnt a huge amount from doing the interviews. Um, so about, about programming techniques, certainly using the ID. Like, so I, we were discussing before the show about um, Control and W, which is my favourite resharper shortcut. Everybody should have a favourite resharper shortcut. That's something that everybody should have. Um, but I learned that from watching somebody do it in an interview. So people used to come and sit at my computer, set up resharper. And you know, in their own way, um, all these people have these like one command that they really, really enjoyed. Yep. That, that, and I was like, "Oh, that's mind blown!" I've, that's I've got really. A load. I've got a load that I use, but Alt Enter is my favorite. Alt and Enter, I love Alt Enter. Um, Alt do you know about building. disabling disabling camel humps or enabling camel humps? What a camel so hump! Go to the next. So you got a real name. You can go to you know when you press Control left and right. Yeah. You can go to the next capital letter in the word rather than to the next word or the or the last word, which is actually quite useful. Oh, for, for variables. Yeah. yeah. Control and yeah. what? Control and um, Control and left and right, just like you'd move between words. But if you put camel humps on, if and you and What's your word a camel top, humps? Right, is it an option that in resharper? It's an option in resharper. Yeah. It's, it's, okay. it's, it, but for camel, it's for camel casing. Yeah. Okay. So you, you can you can you can move between because. Every enterprise project ends up with variables like, you know, thing, something, whatever, object, factory, orchestrator. Interface. So you can to go between them. And, yeah. But, I, you know, I, I've, I've learned so much from watching other people program, and it's definitely made me a better programmer. Yeah, and I agree with that on, on, on other respects as well. I said pair programming is maybe a better program in some instances. You know, the, all of the working with other people closely makes you a better programmer. I've, I learned some of the best things. Uh, back when I first started contracting from a very small portion of the people I worked for but they were really inspiring as well and you know taught you all kinds of little things and you know you I don't know there's some there's something there's something about working with people that's um or working closely with people or at least observing people coding that's yep. it's reserved for a very small number of people even developers a lot of people can't do that can't enjoy watching them but i do well I do it's, it's like you get the energy from them you see people being productive and you get the want to be productive simply to to, to fit in yeah right well, and I, suppose, yeah. I, I i mean that, that that's what i'm assuming that's like my sort of like the the psychology uh ex explanation for it because i i definitely can feel the the nice feels when I like that's why I like working in offices where I like semi open plan when everyone is on headphones and like no one talks to each other but we're like shoulder to shoulder or whilst I can pay, take a peek at like other guys screen and then we can start talking about this it. it's amazing thing and also watching live streams when someone is live streaming coding which a lot of people do or game development or watch or what have you I have to be um, in the right mood to do that uh, yeah. yeah but but to but a lot of people tune in and watch so I I was always wondering like why the fuck would people watch me work because 
I almost cannot stand myself working because <laughs> it's it's work. Like it's a work for a reason. And people would watch me work. I'm like, well, what the fuck are you doing here, motherfuckers? And they're mm-hmm. like, well, we're also working, but it's fun to have like you chatting in the background and like take a peek every now and then at what you're doing. So yeah, it's a it's amazing thing that we have. Yeah, I was, we got a little bit waylaid then with um, with, our, with the brain rape stuff. So you're saying you haven't experienced mm-hmm. any of that uh, directly, Anthony? You mm-hmm. haven't. No, and I mean, I I have experienced it where a client's taken a brief oh, or a some kind of um, I've forgotten the name of the thing that I wrote. Um, it's not a, a design spec because that's way too detailed for an interview process. But it's been um, statement of work. That was it. Statement of work that they've taken away, and then actually what I designed appeared on the internet very shortly. Well, not oh. shortly, months after I'd done it, and it's like, well. There is an argument that it's a system, and if anybody's got the same kind of training as me, they're going to come up with a similar kind of system, you know? But yeah. at the same time... But it is. I mean, it, you've done work for them, and they've not paid for it. And yeah. it, sometimes I feel like um, I do work or I go to an interview, and they do use things that I say, because they ask specific questions, but I've learned, I've become smart to it as well, and I, I usually give them enough information that they know I can do it, but I don't tell them how to do it. You know, yeah. or it really does depend on who you're speaking to, though. Yeah. So, do you do you believe in um, having multiple different types of people in the room for interviewing, or just technical people for interviewing developers? Have you got? Uh, the, I, I, you should definitely, definitely have some non-technical people interview the developer as well at the Whether same time. Or it depends which bit of the test. Um, you know, I think you should have a design stage and a technical stage. It's not. There's no point having you know a BA there watching you if you're doing a pure coding test but certainly in the design stage you should have a you know that you know the right people at the right stages they should be able to talk to the to the business as well as being able to work technically as well um, but i think they are two two, two quite distinct skills that they are you need yes. both of. see i've never i've never prioritized that side of the, an interview process i've never said um People and, and to be fair, I do get interviewed by people, or at least have meetings with people who are non-technical. But it's a very different sell for me. It's a it's a sales pitch rather than um, kind of. I mean, as much as I'm a, I'm not a salesperson, but as much as I sell myself, it's pimping my skills and my giving them confidence that I can do what they need to do. Uh, they need me to do. But it's not really an interview at that stage. Um, yeah. I just came up with something that could be potentially a really good technical skill and communication skill test. So I'm going to run it past you guys. Let me know if it's a good idea. So imagine a test. You get a candidate and you get someone from your company who's not technical at all, like uh, someone from sales or your secretary or cleaner. Uh, and basically the task is you have to explain your like a bug that happened to you at your previous work or at anything that you can talk in terms that this non-technical person can understand. So you have to explain the situation around the bug and the bug itself and the delays that it caused to a person who's not technical. I think it'll be phenomenal. Questions like that are great. Questions like that are absolutely exactly the sort of questions that you should be asking interviews because they're exactly the sort of skills that developers need to have every day. You know, it should be as non-abstract oh, but... as possible. I think in an interview, you yeah. should have uh, organic questions or real life scenarios, real life things, not abstractions that are madness. If it does, if it's not going to really happen, it's not really a test of their ability to think. They can yeah. think up in abstract, but they can't think in in the real world. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, ju- I just cannot cannot fathom. Um, like I, I always have a problems with uh, abstract, like very very abstract things that I don't see any immediate application for. Like if I cannot if I cannot rotate it in my way, in my mind in such a way that I can find application in real life or something, then my brain just refuses to accept to load the problem. Like this is this is not gonna happen. We won't gonna contribute neurons to this. You can stop trying now, GTFO. Hmm. <laughs> and a lot of people are like that. So yeah. yeah, I think again, it's it's a people process, isn't it? And that's an important mm. thing to remember: is that it's not just about ticking boxes and numbers. It's about the people that you're either being interviewed by or, or interviewing. You know, and to me, sometimes a fit is more important, and an attitude is more important than technical skills, because a lot of the time you can teach the technical skills if they've got the right attitude and aptitude for them as well and i think there should be probably more onus put on that side of things the soft skills and the ability to to learn and expand and be and be analytical i i, I mean i i genuinely think there is a problem of being too smart as a programmer what do you mean oh. that the actual programmer or the interviewers being too smart no, pro- programmers being too smart right mm-hmm. I, I think it can sometimes be to your detriment to be too clever because you you write code so complicated that nobody can understand it because you know do like we, if you do we really well, no mean, that's because we're just too smart no but it's our job to write code oh. we've done it for 20 years oh. or however long right. we've done it it's, it's our it's our job to write code that is you know understandable and maintainable by other developers at some point in the future. That's also part of the specification and a lot of people are forgetting that. And I will totally agree with you, Anthony, on that point. That, like, yes, sure, like, especially, like, I know, Spike, if you've seen recently the lead engine developer of Unity made, like, a huge rant about C++ on Twitter, which is amazing. Uh, I think I'm gonna find it and send it to you. Because the guy guy was essentially talking, like, templating and stuff like that, and... um, he was talking like uh, and then compile times and his essentially point was i've been doing c++ for 20 years and he gave example of some some common co- uh, common problem written really smartly with c++ that he said that basically looks like chinese to me i've been doing c++ for 20 years i cannot understand a thing from the screenshot like what <laughs> yeah. the fuck is this uh, and he showed multiple other like issues like that which arise from you know, using programming tricks which are like nice and fancy and then maybe more concise and maybe understandable understandable to to you. There was but a co- the, the cognitive complexity yeah. of that line of code so so far that it's just incomprehensible by anybody apart from the person who wrote it this... without sitting and thinking about it for an hour. Yeah. I've I've just experienced. Uh, uh, I was looking at the Linux kernel, no less, uh, recently. Just because I'm not 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 because I understand it by any stretch of the imagination, or I'm contributing. I was just interested what it looked like, you know. Um, and it was because of security vulnerability in Angular that had been highlighted, and even GitHub picked it up, and, uh, and I've fixed it now in the new website, etc. Uh, but the the um, I was I was looking at. It, I was reading on. Um, on GitHub's comment section, or GitHub's issues boards, rather, about this particular fix. And they were talking about uh, the exploit in that there was one person who was responsible for that, that one piece of code, and they left the project a while ago or something like to this effect. And they, um, essentially, someone had injected um, some malicious, a malicious random number generator into into the a cryptographic function of some description. And they, well, yeah, and they, they um, but no one had noticed it because nobody 
understands what that code is doing. But somehow it hadn't. It was in a secondary repository. Apparently they've got the main GitHub repository, or they've got wherever the main one is. I can't. I, can't, I don't know exactly. And then they've got the secondary repository, and the secondary repository was the one that was updated. But I don't know if the sync between. I didn't really get into that much depth. But it was interesting in that there was that one person who could who could touch that and. It's really worrying that a tiny change, I mean, it was literally two characters that had changed, that could make such a massive impact on on the... the, the I, I know just enough about cryptography to know that I know not enough about cryptography to write any cryptographic code. I, I, I use cryptographic uh, frameworks or, or tool sets. Yeah, other people have written. Yes, I do bit, not yeah, implement yeah. my own... Um, it's it's funny thing because like I had a, I had once a task to make a cryptographic app and I've learned enough during that period to know that I absolutely shouldn't be writing cryptographic <laughs> exactly. apps. Exactly. <laughs> it's phenomenal thing. I would recommend literally everyone to try to do it at least once. Like write this really simple thing that like encrypts a text with PGP or something. It's gonna be a blast. Like generating your own keys and like then then maybe like communicating with. Uh, like online repositories to exchange, phenomenal thing, so much fun. Oh my Don't fucking burn god! It, never use it. Yeah. Oh my fucking god! Never use whatever you wrote <laughs> <laughs> for anything. We've all we've all got code. We've written that we. It's disgusting. Oh, yeah. It's it's some of the, some of the old my older stuff that I've, I don't even look at some of my classic ASP stuff from back when, before I started really programming. You know, when I was just hacking things together. Yeah. Um, right. Anyway, so let's move on to RTFM then. So our RTFM oh. section is our catharsis section where we talk about something that irks us, annoys us, and I'm pretty sure all of us have got something to talk about this week. Or I know I have for once at least, something in my mind. So to start off with, our guest, Anthony, have you got anything you'd like to shout about? Have I have a about? So my personal, my personal interviewer hatred is when you ask somebody at the end of the excited i always have like a bit of time to ask them about you know get them to ask some questions and see whether they seem like a you know a normal human being and and i ask them if you got any questions about the company and they say something like what company is it what program <laughs> language do you use what, and, and you could just google it you could have spent two minutes before the interview googling all of that information and if you've not spent the time to even google the name of the company then I'm afraid. If I'm if I'm going on site anywhere for an interview or a meeting or whatever I want to call it, I know as much as I can publicly about that company. Absolutely. And I will ask the agent if there's an agent involved for a proper job spec and make sure that I read through it all. And if there's some technologies on there that I don't know about, I'll at least get a brief overview of what those are, how they fit into the overall pattern, and if I don't know them. And then, yeah, at least I've got some ammo to go in there with, you know? What yeah. job is this? Do you want a job? I've, 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 I mean, actually, I've actually had that question. What job is this? I ask the I it? ask the agents that because I get so many agent phone calls and they don't send me confirmation <laughs> emails most of the time to say I put you forward for this job. It's really mm. that's really that's my RTFM today. That'll do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I I have a one tip to people who actually suffer from it because I get it. Like when you apply to like so many companies, it's hard. It's hard to keep track of it. Make yourself a fucking spreadsheet, Google yeah. Doc or Excel or whatever. When you have your contact, who are you contacting with? The name of the company, the current status of the process. Like, are they waiting for you? Are you waiting for them? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, any notes you have? 
uh, and I'm just looking at mine right now. Um, probably also as if you're planning to move a city and a country in which it in it is probably a good idea. Uh, and then you know stuff like salary, whatever you think. But but the most important is the name of the company, who is interviewing you for it. So you are personal with that person. It's madness. I don't get the name and of the company. What it is about. Yeah. I don't know the name of the company most of the time for most of the jobs until the second that I booked the interview. <laughs> Up until then, uh -huh. I have no idea. That's bad. Yeah. I mean, that's fine from the recruiter point of view because I mean, yeah. I, know, I know, and I would never like the recruiters are my top on my top three list of most hated professions. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, uh, there are good and bad recruiters. There really there, are. There are, and I have I have met good recruiters. Um, I'm Twitter friends with a. a a, a very good recruiter. I, I don't know what the what the verb is for being mutual Twitter followers. But, um, tweeps. Tweeps, is that it? I think I, so. I, I tweet with a, a very good recruiter, but the majority of them I would stick in a, a skip and sound fire. I think um, for me it's a give and take relationship a lot of the time. I have to give them a little bit, but they know they push all the time for too much information. For example, what was the name of the guy that it does say this as blatantly, but that what is the name of the guy that you worked for in the last job all the time trying to get that? Yeah. Can you just send me your CV with your latest job on it or your latest roles on it? They don't want it for that. They want it for t uh, for companies that have just got rid of a contractor or somebody that, that might need another one, you know, because they don't know why, I've, why I'm not there anymore. It's because I've finished my project, guys. Stop, <laughs> stop speaking to my previous clients because it annoys them. Um, but it's sales, isn't it? It's marketing. It's what it's what they do, it and it's their process, and it's a necessary evil. It I, is a necessary I have got a decent relationship with them now, and I know the charlatans when they ring me up, just based on how they speak to me. I know the good ones from the bad ones almost immediately, and I give the good ones a bit more information than I, I probably would other times. Yeah. Have we all so, RTFM'd? Uh, did Did you, Chris? Um, Your RTFM. Yeah, well, mine wasn't actually related to um, to the interview process, but I'm going to use the the agency not giving you the right information. Uh, not, it, it's so annoying as, as someone who's applying for a job, as Patrick just said, having so many jobs. Usually, you apply for a fair few anyway, especially if the market's busy, busy at that particular time of year. You've got so many jobs. Not having a confirmation email or not having a, a, a a no the knowledge of at least who I'm applying for or at least where in the country it is. Sometimes you don't even get the location, you get a, a general kind of, oh, it's in London. It's like, well, I could make a mm -hmm. significant difference if it's on the suburbs or, you know, in the centre, yeah. you know. You can um, fit like half of my half of my island in London. <laughs> it, it's so, I mean, I've got a relationship with some recruiters where they actually give me all the information straight away up front because they know that I'm not going to go behind the back for them. But there are a lot of contractors that would absolutely 100% would. They hit, as Anthony said, a lot of people have a bad name for agents. Jesus, that that is a lot of like people fucking each other, and I, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Like, I, I think I'm have, dude. I have to be the luckiest human in existence because you know I almost never experience it. Like my current recruiter I'm working with, phenomenal guy. Without him, because like right now I'm like I have I, I got super sick and I have to get out of the country. Like this month is a mess, and without him helping me through the process. It will be so much worse because, like, he's the guy who keeps reminding me, "Hey, did you message those guys? Hey, how's the artist going? Hey, how's it going?" Because, like, it's obviously in his best interest for me to get hired through him. Yeah, yeah. But 
he's just a decent fucking guy. And, and like, I would never imagine try to go behind his back because I think he's like, the guy deserves fucking commission from the companies that guy hired me because he helps a lot. And think... if they're fucking one gonna give it, I'm gonna fucking pay and give him some tip because the guy does a like, phenomenal job. So I don't understand this. Like, I also find that, that there's that if you if you did go behind a client, uh, an yeah. agent's back in any way, shape, or form, they'll find out at some point, and they'll probably blacklist you of some description. You know, as, again, yeah. I'm speaking as as a contractor, and that if you go direct with a client, and it's even if it's outside of the terms of the contract, there's usually some kind of. Um, a restriction clause in there saying you can't go direct with this client for six months or 12 months after the engagement uh, that's to protect their interest you have to go through the agency again it's a, it's a common thing uh, in contracting mm -hmm. and um the the thing is is a lot of companies need you to go through an agency for financial financial reasons because of their again their process a lot of places want you to go through an agency because of that extra protection barrier that it gives them. It also gives you, as a contractor, a protection barrier as well. Because you're, I agree with an agency, for example, to pay me every seven days. Most big agencies pay me every seven days. But if I went direct to a client, they would pay me on a 30-day invoice, 30 days in arrears. So I'd have to wait 60 days for my invoice to be paid. So yeah. it's a big difference. And I... Although sometimes you get screwed over and sometimes you're on a just random, this isn't anywhere near our day rates, but, but we're, we're, say we're on a hundred pound a day, say we, um, an agent's on a 12% commission or something, you know, they'll get 12 pound off that. But sometimes they have markups that are ridiculously high or they try and get one over on a contractor by saying that, oh, this is actually a hundred pound a day contract when it's actually a 600 pound a day contract mm. and they take a significant portion. It doesn't happen so much these days, but that margin, you don't know about it. You can't legally ask about it. There's nothing there. So, you know, you have wait, to- Wait, what, 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 what? Is that fucking illegal? No. What, what? No, because the contract that they have is with the client and the client Basically, uh, they pay the commission. So if they oh, you, pay, you, can, you can't ask, you can be like, hey, I can ask, so and I do sometimes because I ask yeah. agents, and I'm yeah. I'm professional and upfront about it. They sometimes tell yeah. me, but very and so you don't know if they're telling you the truth, you know. Yeah, obviously, but, obviously. But sometimes they say we don't reveal that information. Most of the time, oh, they say I that. Mean, to be fair, uh -huh. but it does happen. You get six hundred percent markups. It happens. I've had people yeah. say to me, "Oh my god, I can't believe they're getting <laughs> ripped off by this." Anyway. All right, yeah, that, that's shitty, yes. So, yeah, there, there is definitely a big difference between, like, recruiters for, um, like, like, agency uh, yeah. for contractors and uh, recruiters who are helping companies find the uh, employees. Yeah. Uh, I, would, uh, I would say so, because my, my contact with those rec employee recruiters is nothing like you described. Permanent and contract is very different, yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, ranted on enough. We're not late. We're not too late today, anyway. But, yeah, we're not uh, too late. We I'm shall... gonna leave my RTF one for next time. I was going to. Oh, I thought, with... I thought you did one. Sorry. No, I, I mean, I, I, if I can, can I? No, go for it. Go for it. Fucking email! Like, Whoa. holy shit! It's 
2019. Internet has been around since what 60s. How the fuck do we not have like a, a standardized protocol system for sending large files through email? Like how the fuck is that not automated so that when you attach anything that's like higher than megabyte, like bundle it up to some FTP and attach a link? How is that not a thing? Why is it constantly fucking breaking? I spent like two hours trying to send, uh, like. Like, I tried to send my art test, yeah? It was like 5 megabytes after I optimized it, before it was like 12. And it returns every single time. It's like, oh, you cannot have attachments longer than, than 10 megabytes. Like, it's fucking 5! Learn to count! Maybe it unzips it and then puts it, you know, or uncompresses it. I have no fucking clue. I, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm oh. a fan of email for organizational reasons, but I do understand that frustration. Now, the way you can get around that, actually, you can't get around that because you can't control the, the recipient's mail servers, but you can change settings on mail servers, and I, uh, my, mine has, I think, yeah. an unlimited attachment. Well, it's it's great, to, great to broadcast the internet, by the way. I mean, um, the, well, uh, but it's also fairly well email is. Yeah, attachments over email is, are also like just a bad idea. It, sh yeah. it should honestly, automatically, every single client should like make, put it on some sort of cloud service and like link it out to the person and then that person. Like, I know it's, I know it's hard, but it should be doable. Do you know, do you know what I found out recently? And I have previously only ever set up um, things like exchange service, so the kind of out of the box mm -hmm. solutions. Um, email systems are actually comprised of a hell of a lot of protocols more than smtp and, and pop3 and imap which are the ones that we know of really there's tons of things going on under the scenes and there's tons of individual components that do all kinds of checking especially if you've got all of the extensions like the uh, dkim and um uh, pf P, so there's another protection thing but um if you've got everything enabled plus pgp and all the other stuff that you'd want if you wanted to you know, properly secure your email system, mm -hmm. then now it's really, really complicated. Just look up um, Mail in a Box by, uh, it's a Linux, um, like, mail server. It shows, it tells you, kind of breaks it down. It's out-of-the-box solution, but it breaks it down. It tells you exactly what's in everything. Oh. Plus, I've been setting up Docker containers with SMTP servers, which have a lot more detail involved, because, again, it's a Linux setup. So, yeah, interesting, but... Yeah. Okay, so... That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you to everybody um, who has been listening. There have been people in the chat, but I don't think there's been much, uh, apart from my wife, who said, uh, hello, Anthony, you've got a new camera. <laughs> yeah, I just got, had enough broad uh, band this time. Yeah, I had enough broadband, broadband last yes. time. I just, it was just a picture of me. You had paid, um, you paid your bills this week. Paid my bill. Yeah, so, um, uh, so yeah, thanks to everybody who, who has been watching, and thanks to everyone listening in the future on the podcast. Um, yeah, and don't forget to visit our website, uh, dnistream.live, where you can find link to our Discord, GitHub, YouTube uh, channel, everything. And we put our website's code on GitHub, so you, you can contribute or you can review it, see how horrible of a web developer Chris is and why you should never hire him. Or maybe the opposite, which is more likely. <laughs> Um, so oh. speaking speaking of the website and how horrible I am at doing things on it, today marks the 1.0.0 release of our website, finally. Ooh. It's been up for a while, but we haven't had all of the features that I wanted to implement for the first version. And I've just basically got the um, the show notes on there. Sorry, no, the show listing, like the archive. Um, but interestingly, if anybody is interested, we have got a, a GitHub channel, github.com forward slash documentation not included. 
bit of a mouthful, but if you type it in, it works. Um, and our website's on there, and it's um, essentially I've put an aggregate system together that aggregates the information from our Fireside podcast hosting solution and YouTube and kind of merges them together and puts them in a nice list on our website, and I'm going to expand that over the next few, uh, few months or whatever. Chris, um, I think the most important question is, uh, is documentation included for the setup? Well, you see, um, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> I did. Uh, Self-documenting, uh, yeah. I assume. It, it's coming. Believe me, I've got, I've got some, I've got quite a lot of tasks and issues on the. They're all public. If anyone again wants to have a look at the GitHub, they're all public. I think that will, that will break the spirit of the podcast after wow. all documentation's not included, right? You see, you see, that's the the problem, isn't it? But yeah, um, so yeah, if anyone wants to have a look at the source code for and how I've set that up, there's a few services involved on the uh, the back end, and obviously on Angular side, there's services as well, but uh, and various other things. Have a look, see what you think. Yeah, and you can also use the website to contact us, uh, either share a story, give us feedback, or um, say that you want to be a guest on the show, because it's always fun. So if you have anything to talk about, something interesting, please send us a message and join us up here. It's going to be tremendous. Yeah, and keep an eye out on our Twitter for announcements for next week's show. We haven't got a guest planned at the moment, as far as I'm aware, but I said Josie has been ill most of uh, most of this week, so we haven't spoken to that much about uh, what's coming up. I'm sure there'll some be something there. Um, so, yes, thank you very much. See you next week at 7 o'clock on Twitter, and hopefully Josie will be back bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and cracking the whip, as normal. Yeah, hopefully so she's going to be better. So, yeah, bye-bye, everyone. It's a goodbye from us all. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye.